Hey, this is John Willis. Haven't done one of these in a long time, but uh, just a crazy world out there. But it's another uh, profound podcast with a really sort of old friend. He's not old. I'm old, but um, but he is an old friend. And like he was involved in some of the earliest DevOps days, DevOps and all those things. And just a, a, a great thinker and like a very good at challenging your thoughts. Uh, Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Dave Mango. I um, generally work with private equity portfolio companies uh, on their engineering organizations and uh, generally leverage like the SREs or the ops or whatever you like to call those people, uh, just because a lot of the work in the organization flows through them. Uh, and I guess as a systems thinker, uh, you know, in the Deming vein, uh, I really try to, you know, help people get really good outcomes, but, you know, looking at the system as a, uh, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's really been my approach with working with all of these uh, portfolio companies. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, we, we uh, I've been a, a real slug with you, so we finally, I finally got my act together and got you on here. But, um, um, you know, I, I got to tell the story, right? Like, I think we were at an Agile conference or something in Nashville a while back, and it was just me and you. Everybody was sort of staying at the hotel. I'm like, dude, let's go down to, uh, you know, to the whatever the street is where all those great music bars are. And yeah. We found that one bar, and we, like, the band, it was me, you, and some old dude. <laughs> and the band was so good, and we just started tipping them and challenging them with songs. Okay, you know, play Stairway to Heaven, you know, play Aerosmith. And, and they, like every time they were able to play the song, so the whole night we were tipping them, we were getting so plastered drunk. Right. Like, but also they were doing like honky-tonk versions of all of those things. Yeah, that's right. They were basically a honky-tonk. I think it was at one point we stumped them with a David Bowie, and they turned to like the bass player, and they said, <laughs> You know anything by David Bowie? He's like, I think I got one. <laughs> he played it. That was great. You're right. It was all hockey park. Um, so you know, I think you know what, what's what's interesting. I think like one of the things I um I like to do about sort of deming, but it's sort of all the principles. You talk about systems thinking. Um, I guess one of the things I I think I'm always interested in it, like in I. It, I'd like to say it's it's an epiphany, but not epiphany. Like what what drew you to Deming? Like what initially drew to you? I always think Deming's like sort of um, peeling back, you know, one of those sort of blooming onions. You just keep sort of peeling, and you sort of the fascination just continues. So like, what what got you into it in the first place, and then what sort of continues you to be, you know, sort of fascinated by dark? And then I guess the third part, which is you know, how do you apply it to the things you do? Yeah, so the first part's real easy. Uh, I was at PuppetConf in San Francisco uh -huh. at UCSF, and this guy, John Willis, that I knew, uh, I think at the time, perhaps, uh, was giving a talk on Taylor and Deming and Goldrat and all this stuff, and I, it was, it wasn't even standing room only, like, people were just, like, sitting on the floor and like all you know wherever they could find a spot like they people would have hung from the ceiling if they could have with their hands like it was it was uh it was very crowded in there and i, I walked I out of that I'm room that everybody gives me small room you know always gives me a small room and like <laughs> and i'm like I, like i'm not trying to say i'm the most important person at the conference but like i do get this small room syndrome where that happens a lot <laughs> Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, that was a great conference. Um, but uh, yeah, Jordan Sissel, like you know, from like Elk Fame, he he gave a really great John talk Vincent. at that conference. John Vincent was there. Yeah, I still remember. Um, but you gave a talk on uh, Taylor and Goldrat and all those folks, and I, I just walked out of that room, and my head was just spinning around and around and around, and I was like. Oh my God. Cause you know, it, it's sort of the story that you tell about Ben Rockwood where like, you know, he introduced you to a lot of this stuff and all of a sudden you find out that there's people who have been thinking about this stuff for a long time. And then you, you know, once that fire is lit, you can't put it out. Like you're just jumping in and, and, you know, 
you know, I read the goal before I read uh, Deming stuff, just like you did <laughs> with Gene and yeah. and whatever. But um, for me, you know, my approach to working with these companies, I, I feel is very pragmatic. Like, I'm not like up on my high horse, like, no, you can't do that because it violates this or I don't. I don't care. Like, you know, if you're doing transformations like this and, and getting people to work in a whole new way, you, you got to roll with what's what's there. And uh, I find that I'm able to use Deming as a sort of way of bringing people around because it's not just me thinking of it. You know, it's like, hey, there was this guy Deming who said this stuff and uh, and, you know, this is how it applies. And it it's not that like Deming is magic or, you know, his word is divine or anything like that, but like it really backs up a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we're trying to do. And, and as you've said before on the podcast, like he just had a really great way of phrasing certain things that allow you to, you know, sort of break through to people like you, they get it. You know, my favorite is the, like, uh, is the, uh, you know, uh, you can't measure, you can't measure what you can't measure. And then everyone leaves off. It's a costly myth <laughs> like that. Yeah, 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 it's always, it's the best yeah, yeah. part. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but there's just so many things that, that he said, uh, you know, or that he wrote, I guess, or, or whatever that are really applicable uh, when we're looking at stuff and, and explains a lot. Yeah. Having really sort of, you know, I spent 10 years sort of obsessed with him, but the last year and a half out finishing my book and, um, the thing I've learned a lot about is he chose his words very important. Like he didn't just, when he uses a word, um, there, there's a lot of thought that goes like, like that, that whole misquoted, um, you can't manage what you can't measure. Right. Like, like there's a lot more there. And then, and I agree people leave it out, but, but even like when he uses the word profound or profound knowledge or, you know, he, you know, there's a there's a, somebody had asked him once about like his involvement with Japan, and he said there was only one person in Japan that had profound knowledge. Now, one way you can interpret it is that him saying I was the only smart person there, but that's mm. not what he meant. He meant there were these pillars of knowledge that had to be understood, and he was the only one that was initially expressing those pillars. But um, yeah, the yeah, other no, thing I, I really think that's like great. about Deming is that he was a humanist. And you've talked about this a lot. And like, you know, I run global engineering organizations. I've been that manager. I've done all those things. And like that humanism is so important, you know, as a as a someone who was an engineer that went up into management or up, whatever, over into management, probably a better way of saying that. Like, you know, we all all of us who have done that go like, yeah, technical problems, not so hard. People problems really hard you know and, and anyone who's really successfully made that transition will say the same thing and so what i loved about deming is 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 his humanist part of it and so um you will you may or may not remember this but when you and damon were doing the uh devops cafe podcast which was the last podcast i was on with you uh oh, you guys yeah. damon edwards yeah 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 yeah, I uh you guys had John Allspaugh on and he was talking about just culture. Uh and I know, you know, you and Gene had Decker and and uh you know, may he rest in peace Dr. Wood and 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 uh and Dr. Spear on. Um but one of the things that you and Damon were doing with John is you were like, so when would you fire somebody? And John's like, I I wouldn't fire anybody. I mean, and you're like, no, no, come on, really? Like, when would you fire? And, and, and John, you know, bless him, like, he stuck to his guns, you know? And he was like, if somebody is in a position where I sh would fire them, it's because they're in the wrong position, you know? And, I, and for me, like, that now that I know more about Deming or whatever, that's like Deming's, you know, 94% is the management's responsibility, only 6% can you leave up to, you know, the individual or whatever? So for me, like now thinking about it, I'm like, well, Oslo was like channeling like that Deming part is like, it's management's responsibility to put people into a position to succeed. It's management's responsibility to set up the system. And I, I just, I just really embrace that in like the work that I do with my clients and stuff. I, uh, 
you know, I get into these situations where, you know, like these people are like, oh, the ops people are lazy. And then the ops people are like, the dev people are stupid. And then, you know, and, you know, it goes back and forth. And then the, you know, the managers or leadership's like, what do we do about this? I'm like, it's the system. Like the system is causing this. What can we do to change the system in order to get out of this situation? And it, it's all Deming. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've been, um, I've been working out. So I've actually lost some weight and, you know, sort of trying to get healthy, but uh, I've been listening to like a bunch of books on tapes. And the current one is a book called Deming Essentials. And um, there was a really good example. Uh, you, you know, the, there's all these papers and lectures and, and a lot of it wound up in new economics. And, uh, and I do want to talk to you about you, you read sort of, you just recently read one of his books or both books, but the, the story that like I thought was awesome, which was, um, you know, he said that, you know, we can get into statistical process control a little later. If people listen, might already know what it is. But he said that, like, you find out what the sort of the, um, the process is, you know, that you get to the sort of what your, your you, know, you know, your sort of common cause process. Right. And at that point, if the output of the sort of the team or the group or the person is not producing, it's an indication. Then to, to kind of offspar that that's maybe you have that person in the wrong job. In other words, let's figure out what the what the system creates. Yeah. And then at that point, it is the system stupid, <laughs> not you, but it is the system stupid. But then, like, if that person, it's not a question of that person is wrong. It's just that person probably isn't in the right job, or I haven't trained them properly, right? And so it's just a completely different way to think about. You know, the whole like I think you're right. I think we just set our mindsets that it's it's there's a system and a system's thinking and and it just it it opens up just an incredible amount of opportunity to think about things differently. Yeah, to throw out the bad apple theory in the garbage yeah. is so sure. liberating. Because <laughs> it yeah. it's just such, you know, it's intellectual laziness to like, well, you know, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna throw this person out and then all the problems are gonna be solved. It's like <laughs> No way. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's, I know that you and Gene feel that you didn't accomplish what you wanted to accomplish when you brought like Spear and, and those guys all together. But, um, you know, I, I think that's just like such a huge part of it. And like the LFI stuff that, you know, John is involved with all the learning from incidents, you know, so much of that is like, well, if you put a different person in the incident in that situation, what makes you think that the system would have, you know, the incident would have been resolved any faster? Like that person has the same exact information as any other person, unless, you know, they have a different mental model or, or whatever. And so I, um, I, I think it's, I think it was very admirable what you guys tried to do there. And I, and I love that whole discussion and I, I go back to it, but I, I think there's, I think the overlap is there just like you suspected. Everybody is, yeah, it is. Well, that was the whole thing. I kept talking to like Woods and, you know, I love, bless his heart and rest in peace, just a beautiful man. Uh, not Woods, I'm sorry, Richard Cook, but Dr. Woods and, and Richard, they just, that's the one area Richard would be like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to punch you in the nose. Because I tried to convince him that Mike Rother and Steven Spear were basically saying the same thing they were. And I, Gene said, let's get this thing together. And for those who don't know, I'll put it in the show notes. It's a two and a half hour, you know, it's, it's not sort of, you know, like Charlie Rose is a bad sort of stain on everything <laughs> right now, but it was a Charlie Rose like thing. And, and I actually, you know, in the beginning, um, the first like 40 minutes, it was sort of ugly. Like we had to go at break, apologize to Steven Spear, like and say, you know, hey, we're sorry. Yeah, Steven Spear's great because he wears a bow tie and Gene's like, are you okay? Because they were just <laughs> Decker and, and Cook were hammering them. And uh and he's like, You kidding me? Come to my Thanksgiving, you know, dinner. And like, oh, you want to see tough. And he's just so great. But but like there was a turning point, and, and it was a point where like you could see Decker wanting to finish early on, Decker was just being humiliating to him. But then there's a point where Decker starts finishing his sentences, and then it turns into this like there's there like they all have multiple degrees. They're all brilliant. They're like quoting like 16th century philosophers and like, yeah, it's like such and such on a, 
you know, so I, I always think, you know, I, I think early on, I think it might have felt like we, we were disappointed, but I thought it was one of sort of a top 10 work I've ever been involved in. in that. that yeah, I agree. That together, so. And I think the Decker Just Culture stuff really fits in very well with Deming. I think sure. if Deming had read Just Culture, he would have been like, yes, like yeah, yeah. totally on yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but I also think I, I felt like at some points Decker was, he was trying to be contrarian just to make it spicy. <laughs> so it was more interesting. Yeah, yeah, there's a point there where um, the sphere says, turn to Gene. Decker says something, and then he says, uh, sphere says to Gene, I says, I think I've just been assaulted. And, and Decker says, and Decker's really a nice guy. Like when you peel off this abusiveness, he goes, You have been. You have been. <laughs> oh, no, this is going terribly bad. Uh, but again, it turned out they were. I proved my point. I wanted to prove, you know, there was a point to, like, like do, don't we want to talk about your thoughts about reading, um, you know, the, the Deming books and, and how that sort of further educated you. But the, there's a point where um, Richard Cook says, you know, he's finally like, okay, I'm willing to entertain that this might be the same. And he says, he turns to uh, Spear and says, well, then what did we get wrong about lean? And then that just opens it up. Like, right. and, 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 and Spear says, well, you know, there's sort of the architecture version of lean, you know, the 14 ways to do lean. And then there's the true, and he even says, let's stop calling it lean. It's Toyota Proxy Systems, you know, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. it just, it just flew. But I do want to ask you, so you would, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Did you just read New Economics or, um, or um, Out of Crisis? Out of the Crisis. Out of Crisis. So, so you knew a bunch of stuff about Deming. You know, I think that's the whole thing, right? We all, like, there's this, like, there's the stage one, I don't know who he is. Stage two is, I heard of him. Stage three is, I know a lot of his quotes, and they seem pretty cool. Stage three is, I actually start learning more about the. So you move, like, to a stage three to stage four. Um, so what did you get <laughs> out of um, out of the crisis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've read a lot of Deming stuff. I've, uh, you know, not not the book, but like, and I've listened to your podcast and, you know, we've been involved in, in discussions and stuff. So Out of the Crisis wasn't like mind blowing in terms of, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but it, it number one, I, I just highlighted a whole mess of quotes that I was like, these things are going to be crazy useful. Um, and then it, it also helps to put things into context. So like, you know, you were talking about like statistical process control or, or really the thing that he talks about a lot in the book is being within statistical control, right? right. And like being right. able to sort of read that in the context really helps to solidify, you know, some stuff. So one of the things I wrote to you after I read it was like this whole idea of being within statistical control means that, you know, and using your what do they call it? Control charts and all this other fun stuff. Right. I was like, for me, like when I'm trying to explain to people, and this might p- piss off some agilists out there, but I'm like, Scrum is training wheels for agile. Scrum is not agile. Like you could never call something that has like all of this, you know, ceremony and you got to do planning poker and all this nonsense or whatever. You would never call that agile, but you need to do all that stuff to learn agile. Like you're not going to, you know, just read some book that somebody put out and then now you're agile. Like that doesn't, you have to, you know, actually, uh, what would uh, Deming say? He would say like, you know, experience alone without theory uh, teaches nothing, you know? And so like, you can't just read the book. Like you have to experience it at the same time. And eventually with Scrum, you know, you, you start to understand how to break down the work how to fit it in the time boxes, all these things that are the useful parts of Scrum, not, you know, that make that allow you to be agile. But for me, like, you know, at some point, you know, when you first start doing Scrum, right, everyone's velocity uh, points or whatever for the, for the sprint go in the wrong direction. Instead of a burn down chart, you have like the, the everything goes up. <laughs> and then eventually you achieve basically what I would argue is statistical control, and your velocity starts to become consistent, right? Like we average, you know, 25 velocity points a sprint or whatever, because you get it under control. And only once you get that stuff under control, can you actually start to make improvements. 
right? And you can't just like be like, hey, let's try this. Let's try that when everything else is all over the place. And so I love that about Deming's, his whole thing about becoming within statistical control, because I'm like, that's why you're learning Scrum. You're learning Scrum so that you get repeatable results. And then only then can you become agile and start tweaking the way that the team works. And instead of adapting the team to the system, start adapting the system to the team and on all this other stuff. So I use examples like that with my clients because it really helps for them to sort of get the big picture about what they're doing. Yeah, I know. So, you know, I mean, one of the things I, I, I wanted to really understand, um, you know, what, so, you know, people, you know, a lot of people say, you know, Deming equals SPC, right? Like, but you know, Deming was um, what, what, you know, would, we called uh, an analytical statistics, or uh, uh, right. um, as opposed to like enumerated statistics, which is all about probabilities, prediction, and and when you think about how much we don't use that kind of stuff in IT, you know, your point, um, like let's find out because what statistics and math will allow me to do is not be subjective. I can be objective about what actually are we doing. If I run this, I used to, uh, uh, Dominica had, um, it was was a DevOps or Kanban game. And, you know, what we would do, I don't know if you remember, a couple of DevOps days, we would do breakout sessions where where she'd have three boards and we did three teams. And and it was literally like a 14 or 21 days sort of sprints. And you had all this sort of variation and dice. But one team was... um, you know, points. Another team was, um, you know, how many, um, you know, stories did you get through? And the other was like um, variation. And variation would literally near the end would get very close to be the winner. I, I one time I tried to do some uh, poor man's like uh, least squares to say what would happen if you did like 30 days. And, you know, in my sort of like terrible math version of that said that variation would have tore it to shreds. Like, so you do these QM charts and you like you're finding yeah. out more about like, are you getting better at your sort of prediction and how you what stories you're picking? Because you got these expedites that come in. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on. Again, it's not just SPC, but it's it's using, you know, taking the human out of it and using the st- stats and math to tell us who we are and then we can improve. Right. Yeah. And I think the important thing also is because you were talking about variation is like, you know, all of us were engineers or maybe we still consider ourselves. I still consider myself an engineer or whatever. So like, you know, what's the big trend in the industry? Every, every executive, we're data driven. We're data, uh, yeah. you know, and you're like, yes, uh, yes. We, okay. That's fine. Like, you know, and if you can measure it, that's, that's cool or whatever. But like, I think the thing that's great that Deming gives us as a, a sort of a gift in that is like we're data driven, but we understand that there's variation and like okay. we're not like, you know, well, why was your story points this week, you know, 22 where last week it was 23. It's like, who cares? Like, our, you know, it's called the average velocity. It is not called the the ironclad velocity. And like, I think like in our industry, we tend to get a little bit obsessive about we're data driven, not understanding that there's variation and like variations. Okay. And like, you know, if the spec for whatever I'm getting from my, you know, supplier is it can be between 1.0 and 2.0 millimeters. And one week they give me 1.6 and the next week they give me 1.4. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, you know, stop being so crazy about the data because that's just common cause variation. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it gives me the opportunity to figure out why, right? As opposed to just you did bad. I mean, I think you know, I, I run into this a lot. In fact, I, you know, just today working with some people, that you know, the 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 executives say we're got to be data driven, you know. And I'm thinking about what Demon would say that you know, he doesn't say. I would say data. Is not information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge requires prediction, which therefore requires theory, right? Like in other words, yeah. so too many places build sort of these scorecards based on data, and that's oh, it. Yeah. Right. Where, where like the real, and that's why I think this sort of maybe not just SPC, but statistics. So like it would be nice if people said we're statistical driven, not data driven. Right. right? In other words, 
yeah, like if you just you could really abuse a data driven mantra, you know. These but, are humans. Like you got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, EBITDA yeah. is one thing, but like you know, somewhat. I wrote a blog post recently about like don't abuse agile because I, you know, to your point, the executives built this huge. Uh, one of my clients, like the uh, old clients. Uh, they built this huge dashboard of all these agile metrics and they're just using it as a bludgeon to beat up all the teams. And I was like, none of these things are for you. Like none of, none of this stuff is for you. Like the agile and all these metrics, that's for the team that none of this, stop it. Just, just stop it. And like they see data and they're like, must use data, (laughs) you know, and they get all, and I was like, I was like, your, your dumb, your dashboard is worthless. Like it doesn't mean anything. You're, it's a bunch of numbers. Great. But it's not useful because they don't have the theory to your point. That's right. It's theory. Like again, if having say information is not knowledge, you know, knowledge requires prediction. Um, you know, to, I was talking to a group just recently where they said, you know, our agile, our sort of scorecards, you, know, you, you get two choices. You either lie and your scorecard will be yellow and green, or you tell the yeah. truth and your scorecard's always red. You know, like that's the, the water, you know, watermelon charts. That's red right, on the right, outside, right. green, um, or green on the outside, red on the inside. So I don't know if you want, like, not that I have like this amazing, massive audience, but I think, and like, it's just hard for me to remember, but. What you all what you all do in that flow collective is I think really cool. So there's sort of two questions to tell people what the flow collective is about, but then also um, you know, how do you think about sort of value stream and flow? And then sort of a third part is what does that got to do with Emmy, in your opinion? Yeah, so the flow collective is um is a weekly discussion group. Uh, I actually participate in two weekly discussion groups. One is the learning from incidents folks, uh, which is today, uh, Thursday. Uh, And the other one is the flow collective. And they are, you know, people who are trying to push the envelope for how we look at uh, how work flows through the system, right? Which I don't think you can get much more Deming than that. Like looking at, you know, yeah. well, I guess gold rat, whatever, but you know, good question, but yeah, how work flows through the system. And so, uh, you know, we get into value stream mapping and, you know, different agile techniques and, and all that other stuff, but really, you know, we're trying to figure out the best ways to, to look at some of this stuff. And, and, you know, I would argue that, you know, Dr. Kirsten's like project to product book, really brought this out into the more mainstream or, or whatever you want to call it. But like, you know, him and Dominica and, and all those folks who were over at TaskTop had like their flow uh, metrics and, and things like that. And it's, and, you know, to piggyback on what I was just talking about with the agile stuff, it's like the ad, and I say to the executives, the agile metrics are not for you. But the flow metrics are. The flow metrics are for you. The flow metrics are uh, a thing. And and you had Steve uh, on the on the podcast a few episodes ago, and you know he is very much pushing this idea of value stream management, right? And and so um, that is looking at you know what's flowing through the system, and you know Dr. Kirsten's uh, you know defects, risks, uh, features, and uh, debt. I, you know, the four flow items and like, in what proportion are we allocating those things? You know, where are those things getting uh, hung up, which is like, you know, very value stream mapping th- things. We do a lot of things with Wardly maps, like all, all kinds of stuff. But um, it's really like looking at the system itself and like trying to figure out, you know, how to get that visibility into um, how the work is flowing and stuff like that without you know, in for the, the blog post that I just wrote without abusing agile, <laughs> it's like a way of doing that. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, um, you know, I think that like, I, I love flow metrics. I, I sort of joke with uh, Mick that, um, that like he needs to start paying me some back pay because I, I like literally like I, like I glorify it because for the right reasons. Cause I think, you know, we talk about the Dora four, right? Like I think yeah. those were great to get us to a certain point you know your sort of lead time your um empty well empty tar we could have i guess your lfi folks could don't even say that <laughs> word with the lfi folks. danger but, danger but, but you know the, 
Yeah, that's yes, right. The, uh, yeah, you want to get into a fight? Just ask <laughs> about MTTR and the LFI. Uh, but um, but then um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the chain success and and then um, you know the the so what I don't know why I'm deployment frequencies. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Deployment frequencies. Yeah. Um, those were great to get us to a certain place, but then you know I I, I consider those sort of like latent metrics. At some point, right? Like, in other words, okay, so lead time went up this week. First off, we can argue about the averages and all that. But but, yeah. um, but the reason I love flow metrics is they're leading. You know, they, 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 you know James, Jabe, who I work with, Jabe Bloom, what he calls hunting metrics. You know, like things that you find out, trying to find out to investigate why something worked the way it is. Whereas a lead time just tells you, yeah, I've been an average three minutes for this service for the last month, and it was eight minutes this week. Whereas flow metrics breaks out like things like wait time or tack time, right? And and you can then sort of like, okay, well now look looks like uh, Betty was on vacation. She does a manual email exchange with somebody, you know. So I I think they're spot on on that that idea of flow metrics. I really it's it's you know. In the list of things that I've been excited about over the last sort of five years, that's one of them. So, yeah, I think there are different purposes. Uh, so, like, I developed a service delivery assessment um, based on mm -hmm. the Dora metrics. And so, we okay. go in to these companies and we, you know, interview the engineers about, you know, how does stuff get shipped to production and, you know, whether right. it's code or infrastructure and, and what's your, you know, your, you know, response stuff look like you have a well-developed you know incident response program all, all these kinds of things and then we frame it in terms of those four dora metrics but okay. one of the things i think that's interesting about the way that i develop that is i don't actually ever measure the metrics i never tell you your deployment frequency is six or your mttr is eight or any i never do that because i don't think that that's actually very useful Nathan Harvey had this, like I was just at MSTC and I was yeah. going to go, for, I love Nathan, but I was going for his throat on Dora. And that, what you're saying right now is exactly what he was saying. But yeah, you're right. You were yeah. spot on. I think it's great in terms of like, you know, when you read the report, like eventually all this boils down to is like, do I have sort of a Western generative culture? And I think that if you have those or those numbers or whatever you want to call it in a good place, that is a sign that's indicative of having a Western generative culture that, you know, Toba Paul from, uh, from Capital One is like, you know, sort of like, what's the difference between 400 deploys a day and 406 deploys a day? Is one better than the other? It doesn't... It doesn't matter. And so that's why I don't bother measuring those things. Yeah. But I, I do look at people's capabilities to deliver sure. quickly yeah. with quality, all these other, you know, obviously Deming being the father of quality, like, you know, if you can do those things, if you're in a good place to do those things, mm -hmm. that's what I care about. I don't care about the actual number itself. The number doesn't mean anything. It, it, you know, it's it's specific it to your company anyways. Yeah. But I, I do think there's been an over rotation on like, you know, because now, you know, that not last year or the year before the report was not only is there sort of the, you know, low, medium, high, there's like the super califragilistic <laughs> high, right? And like, and, and like, like, so, and like Topo says, Topo Powell, his first fellow at Cat One, now at Fidelity, he says, um, you know, he says, just because you can go fast doesn't mean you should go fast, right? Like, yeah. like, you know, like, and, and, and then, like, am I going to compare a company that only needs to deploy 10 times a day because, like, there's no reason to deploy more than that versus somebody who's doing a thousand per hour? Like, and then say, like, they're a super, I know that's not the name, but, you know, super calorific version of a company versus, you know, a, a high. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're spot on on the. Uh, on using those to understand the capabilities and even to an extent how you sort of can gauge improvement, um, you know, but, yeah. but I do think if you get, um, you know, focused on like how many deploys do you do, like the, you've lost sight of what, what, what we're really trying to do here. Yeah. And I asked my, but again, the flow matches, I think, is, yeah, I'm like, are you yeah, meeting I your business objectives? 
Because if yeah, I can meet yeah, my business yeah. objectives by deploying once a day, why do I need to deploy 10 times a day? What is that doing for me? If I'm already meeting my business objectives, but like, I have a lot of clients who are like, no, we are not meeting our business objectives. Uh, you know, I, I had one client who was like, you know, we are the market leader in this space or whatever. And all these competitors are, you know, startups or whatever are coming after us. And we're deploying like four times a year and they're deploying every day. And they go, we know we're not going to be able to stay ahead of everybody if we keep doing this. So we're not meeting right. our business objectives, not in terms of revenue, but in terms of like where we want to be as a business. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go look at, you know, how you do deploys, like what the process is like, where can we get efficiencies? You know, it's very, you know, value stream mappy sort of. But like, yeah, let's look at the system and try to figure out how to get you to go faster because I don't want you to lose to your competitors just because, you know, they're unencumbered by things that you're encumbered by. And I think that's where it really starts to matter is like, okay, deployment frequency there is genuine, like in terms of like, we care about what we're doing. Do you you use Wardly Maps with your clients? Or is that just, or is that just something that's part of the flow metrics discussion? I think that's more the flow metrics discussion. I, I think the Wardley maps is very useful in terms of where am I and where do I want to go as like a business or a product or, right. or things like that. Where, you know, I'm working on. Uh, what I like to say is like I have one of the best jobs in the world because the the outcome of my job is to make engineers' lives better. And I mm-hmm. totally, completely, mm-hmm. and 100% stole that from Gene Kim. So like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back in the day when Gene used to give his stump speech, he would talk about making the lives of a, a million IT professionals better or yep. something like that. Um, so I, you know, the output of my job is to make engineers' lives better, which makes the executives happier which makes sure. their investors happier, which, you know, it's just like win, win, win. So I, I'm super lucky in, in what I get to do because the output of everything that I do when I go into these companies is to make engineers' lives better. Um, and so I don't get too involved in the product stuff or any of those other things because that's not, you know, that's not me. Did you, um, you were pinging me about something that you recently did a podcast with, and I think it was around sort of Deming's theory of knowledge or PDSA. Oh yeah. Well, it was, it was fun because I've heard so many of your podcasts where you get, (laughs) you get all turned up about the fact that like everybody does plan do and nobody does study act. And so. Yeah. yeah. uh, You're a great industry of plan doing. Yeah. 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 So I was talking in that, in the podcast about one of the things that I teach my clients is like, Number one, you know, you have permission to experiment and try to make things better. And this is all, you know, high velocity edge, Steven Spear, like on one of the early podcasts, you were like, I recommend that book to everyone. So I put it on my list. I went, I read it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, But what I say to them is like, you know, let's run an experiment. And I was like, but if we're going to run the experiment, let's put a meeting on the calendar in whatever it is, two months, three months, two weeks, whatever is the appropriate thing for whatever this experiment is. And let's come back because we, we, we put it on the calendar. We forget about it. We do whatever we're doing. We come back and we talk about it. What happened? How did it go? Was this good? Do you want to keep doing it? Do we want to stop doing it? Do we want to do whatever? Because like literally that study act part, I feel like that's the thing that people keep missing is that has to be intentional. We don't just wander into study act, like let's make that explicit. So like, let's do our plan do, and then, you know, close the OODA loop and and like study act. And so like, you know, once you get into this, you know, rhythm of like, we're going to try this, we're going to examine it, we're going to do it. You know, that's all the stuff that Andrew Schaefer used to talk about with the learning organization. Like, that's what I want my clients to become by the time that I'm done working with them. I want them all to be learning organizations. I'm like, I don't want you to need me. I don't want you to be dependent on me for anything. I want you to be able to find the answers. And uh, and it works. You know, I had a client that like, they're like, help us move five, you know, products into the cloud. 
And I was like, well, you won't need me for all five. And they're like, yeah, we will. And I'm like, no, you won't. And I'm like, you'll need me for three. And they're like, yeah, they needed me for one and a half. After right, one right, and a half yeah, yeah. things being moved oh. into the cloud, they never called me again. Because Isn't they that a great resume for, for selling your services. Like, I mean, that's a great story. Like, I do, you probably do. Like, I'm going to a client and like, let me tell you the story of, you know, that's uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I think this is all, all, all uh, like really cool stuff. You, the, you were talking about Steven Spear. I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure you've read Mike Roth's Toyota Kata, right? Which, yeah. Because it all goes back to PSA is basically Roth would just say it's, it's um, scientific method, right? Like that's basically what it is. Right? Yeah. It's, and you know, and 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 Rother's improvement Kata. In fact, Rother was supposed to be the fourth one on that panel. It was supposed oh, to be Spear and Rother against, if you will, uh, uh, Decker and uh, Cook, but he he dropped out at last minute. So, but yeah, I mean, Microsoft's Tordakat is is really all about like sort of instead of calling it PSA, he calls it improvement Kata. But yeah, right. they're sort of same same type of um, sort of overview. Um, yeah, that's so why I threw the, OODA loops so, in there because OODA loops are yeah, all yeah, like, yeah, cybernetics. So we just go down the list, right? But uh, I mean, it's all feedback loops, right? It's it's yeah. literally how do you know, how do we know what we think we know? I mean, this is the core of Deming's profound knowledge theory of knowledge is how do we know what we think we know? Like we have like we think we know that it does this or if X does that and Y will do that, but we have to sort of do it. We have to sort of study the results and then, then we can make an appropriate action. Um, so, yeah. you know, one of the things that was interesting, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just like, you know, what I'm seeing a lot of times is the results, right? It's like, and then it's like a reverse thing. Like I'm trying to figure out how the hell did we get here, you know? And, uh, sometimes I'll write in my book, you know, notebook system working as design, uh, you know, because like they have burnout or, you know, everyone's overextended or, or whatever. And so, um, you know, so uh, Deming said in, in uh, Out of the Crisis, he said, financial budgeting and tight control are oversold as effective management tools. And like that, like leapt off the page for me because I was working with a client where everything was driven by finance, finance, yeah, budget, yeah. budget, 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 every, everything, like every dollar, every, everything. And I was like, and everyone's burning out and they're like, well, what, what's going yeah. on? And I was like, finance's incentive is to get 100% utilization out of every resource. That's how finance <laughs> thinks about stuff. If they, spend a dollar, they want 100% of that dollar utilized. They don't want 40% of that dollar utilized. They want to, that's, that's what they do. And I'm like, in agile, we talk about, you know, you got to go slow to go fast. So we never run our systems at 100%. But like, that's what you guys are doing based on the fact that yeah. finance is driving everything all the time. And, and so it's like, I loved it. It was like, it's oversold as an effective management tool. And like, we know that's like a terrible idea. And then, you know, this company had 50% attrition in a year. I was like, oh, my God. And that's, you know, like, you know, it's funny. Like, I've I read New Economics many times. I've read papers that were sort of the papers that led into that. And then um, at one point, I'm like, oh, New Economics. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what he's telling us. There's a new economic model that, like, duh. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> One of the things I, I thought, like, I remember when you were first starting your consulting business, we had a conversation, and I didn't know exactly what you can do, and I was like, hey, consulting's tough, man. I'll just tell you right now. Like, it's a, especially a one-man, you know, starting off as one-person shingle. Oh, God. I was trying to scare you off, and you're like, nah, nah, man, I'm not. <laughs> but I, what you did, though, is awesome, like, finding your niche in private equity. I think that's, like, I, I've been really sort of impressed that, you know, talk about a place that needs sort of all these skills and knowledge and the gap. And I suspect there's just not a whole lot of the people that are coming in with your toolbox and talking to, you know, a very, you know, sort of profitable area of like people who need help as much as anybody else. Yeah. Well, there are not a lot of Dave mangoes, I, you know, which for better or for worse, like I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. a good thing or a bad thing, but one of the things I really like about working with private equity is that, you know, I like, 
and I'm writing a book and you're in the book and we can talk about that at the end. But, uh, but, uh, but I, I, I like to say that they're serious about what they're doing. Um, And the investors that I tend to work with have a three to five year investment thesis for, you know, how long they want to hold this company before they, they, you know, sell it or it goes public or whatever that, whatever they, they're going to do. So there's not a lot of messing around, you know, like you get in there early after, you know, they get acquired or whatever. And, you know, they want their organization to work well. They want, you know, high functioning engineering organizations, all that other stuff, because during the period where they're holding it, they want the growth and they want, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, we know from the state of DevOps report, right? Highest performers are twice as likely to meet or exceed their organization's performance goals. So like these people are making, the investors are literally making an investment saying like, we want to double our chances of meeting the organization's yeah, performance yeah, yeah, goals. Yeah. And DevOps is a great way to do that. So I like to say that they're serious because when I'm going into these companies, it, they they know why I'm there. They know what we're trying to do and they're receptive to the message. And, you know, I loved my experience at Salesforce, the, you know, transforming a 16,000 person company. But there was a lot of talk with EVPs and SVPs. Oh, my God. It just went on forever. No, I get it. The mapping of what they're trying to do, like, it's in your face. Like, you can ignore this. But if, you, if you're going to accept it, like, it maps really well. So your book, tell me a little bit about your book. And then um, where do people find you? Um, right on. If they want to sort of talk through all things. So. Uh, so the book I'm working on is called DevOps Patterns for Private Equity. Uh, and it's basically these patterns that I'm seeing over and over inside these companies. Like, you know, one pattern with private equity is they do a heck of a lot of acquisitions, right? And, you know, acquisitions are fun because every engineer thinks that the way that they develop something is probably the best way that it could ever be done. So then you take a bunch of acquisitions, you put them together and all the engineers are like, oh, I don't want to change. And, you know, all this fun stuff. And, you know, another pattern is like moving from on-prem to becoming a SaaS. Like that's a very lucrative business model. And so the book is basically about that. But uh, so I have a chapter in there called uh, A Brief History of the DevOps Movement. Oh, and cool. so um, there's this guy, John Willis, who's featured uh, prominently in this chapter. And and I loved how when you, we started this conversation today, you said, you know, I'm working out and on this, all this other stuff. And so uh, I talk, uh, open the chapter talking about the DevOps days in Mountain View at that like weird data center place. Yeah, You, yeah, you remember yeah. this place, right? Yeah. And so Google Google last minute pulled out on us they said we had to all fill out ndas or couldn't take pictures and then dave nelson had this like old veritas factory or whatever right. and like we were just in an abandoned like you know thirty thousand square foot building it was insane yeah yeah, totally. yeah so so this guy john willis goes up to the front and gives a lightning talk about how he's like losing weight and working on his health and stuff like that and the entire crowd burst into applause and cheers and like, you know, encouraging him. And I'm like sitting in the audience, like what is going on? I'm at a technical conference. This guy is giving a talk about his blood pressure or whatever. And everybody's cheering him. I'm like, what kind of a technical conference is this? Like something (laughs) like this would happen. That was also the same conference where like everybody wanted to talk about tools. And you were like, if we talk about tools, I'm taking, you know, you know, columns or clams or whatever it was at the time. I'm going home like I'm not I'm not putting up with this. Uh, And the year before I'd been at the one at LinkedIn where like Gene and a bunch of people were up in the front of the room, uh, you know, talking about how we don't need QA anymore. QA is an old, outdated concept like that stuff is finished. And so for me. You know, I didn't go to the obviously the first DevOps days in Kent like you did. I, I did speak at the fifth one, but um, but for me, like being part of this movement, like early on, where like people were questioning the orthodoxy, people were caring about other people as humans, and all this other stuff was like 
I really felt at home. Like I really loved it. And so like, that's how like you, uh, you know, you became a big part of that for me in the very, way before I'd ever met you or or known you or anything like that. But like, I'm so lucky in my career to have been involved in those things at the early days and really seen like these, you know, you love to call it this boundary spanners, like these boundary spanners all over the place, like really pulling in things from Deming, pulling things in from Lean, pulling things in from, you know, LFI and, you know, Lund University and and Sweden and all these things now pulling in value stream management, like always pulling in the best things that can make what I always love to work on, make engineers' lives better, make it so that people are happier at work. They don't, I know you did a whole thing on burnout for a while, like making sure people aren't burned out. Like that's what I I love. well, two things to that. One is the thing I, I've always loved about DevOps days is the egoless. You just you're just out of place if you've got an ego there. Now I'm not saying that every experience for everybody and every sort of DevOps sure. days is perfect like that, but but you sort of get it normalized. Like you just so many smart people, so many people are there to contribute. It just doesn't. There's no escape velocity for for that. And then to speak about other things other than technology, I remember DevOps days Austin. You know, it, it was right around when I was doing a lot of writing about burnout. And we had this open space on burnout. And I remember we sort of near at one point, somebody asked, like, how many people had near the end, actually, we'd gone through a bunch of stuff. So how many people have had therapy? And about a third of the circle raises their hands. Right. And I said, do you think that would have happened at any other conference where a third of people at a technical conference would have no. raised their hand and said, yes, I've had therapy? Of course not. But like, no. that's the beauty of that. Yeah. So where can people find you? Uh, people can find me uh, at Mango Tech. So uh, that was a uh, a fun thing uh, thought up by Corey Quinn, the Quinny Pig on Twitter. Uh, uh, he came up with that name. It's a play on the fact that my last name is French uh, and I work on tech stuff, supposedly. So M-A-N-G-O-T-E-Q-U-E is Mango Tech. And uh, I write a monthly newsletter or email or whatever you want to call it about DevOps and private equity. So like the the places where I see the overlap, a lot of that content's probably going to wind up in the book. Uh, but um, but yeah, and I, you know, can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, all, all those normal things as well. All right, my buddy, it's good to get caught up with you again and you know i think we'll start seeing each other at conferences again relatively soon yeah but but, uh but this was fun this was just a lot of fun so take care my friend thanks man sure um